sing that hymn, Children of the Heavenly Father, as we turn our attention to our scripture passage this morning, James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. James chapter 4 can be found on page 1290, though the passage itself will begin on 1291, verses 13 to 17. As you're turning there, I want us to keep in mind the words of that hymn that talk about us being the children of the Heavenly Father, the Father who provides for his people, he who is there to watch over their needs, and and sort of have that be something of a foil or something to think of in contrast to what we will read here in this text from James about boasting of tomorrow and and wealth and riches that we see here. Before we read this text, let's ask for God's blessing. Dear Lord in heaven, we turn to your word and we turn to a passage that reminds us of your sovereign will and reminds us of that particularly in the context of how often we are predisposed to forget it, how often we will live without a thought to your control how we will even presume upon your grace. And we pray that we would not do that here now, that we come to you asking even for the capacity to understand, asking for the capacity to hear, asking that you would open our hearts and our minds, for without that work of the Spirit in our lives, we will never learn this lesson. And even at the end of the day, our goal isn't just to learn a lesson. It's not just to learn ways to think. It's not even just to learn how to live and act. It's a whole life. It's a worldview. It's our very heart and mind, that that union of heart and mind devoted to you. That is our desire. We pray that we would see this even here in words that correct what we might do wrong, but orient us and situate us to see truly your care for your people and your sovereign power. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. James 4, beginning in verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Sends the reading of God's word. People of God, if you are to turn on a radio or a TV, if you are to go online and look at any one of a number of news sources, it wouldn't take you long to, to come across a, a description of the stock market, whether the Dow Jones is up or down, good places to invest, articles written on what you should place your money What's the best way to diversify? Is it time to to get into cryptocurrency or not? Should you get into real estate? What's the best way to do this? We we get emails all the time to check our retirement, check your IRAs, monitor your budgets, decide how to best conduct marketing, find a financial advisor. The best way to lay all these things out, the best way to, to gain wealth, to plan for the future, 
Now, none of these things are in and of themselves bad, but all of those things can be misused. And misused by us to the point where we do, in fact, sin in them. And you see this in James' own description of what's going on here. What he talks about to this situation of his congregation. You see, he's circling back to what he's covered before. He's talked about riches before, evidently, just how much he he deals with this. This was a problem for his congregation, those who were poor and those who were rich, and some ways in which the rich would use their wealth and money, and the way they would be, be focusing on that instead of what's the truth. So James addresses that here again, but his goal is not to take aim at riches. His goal is not to take aim at wealth. And his goal isn't even to critique forethought and planning. His goal is to critique presumption. Presumption. What's helpful about James is he so often focuses on sins that just don't tend to make our radar. That we don't tend to think much about or think they're that bad. And what James does in the language and the colorful ways he talks about it, even in the strong and, and the, the language that just strikes you and it's abrupt and it's very harsh in one sense, but true, it wakes us up to these sins. It wakes us up to how bad these things can be, even the sin of presumption. To presume. What is that? To presume is to assume that something is the case. It's an assumption that goes too far. You're assuming that something is the case, or it's taking something for granted. Assuming that a situation that exists will stay that way. Assuming that the one who orders the universe and governs all things will continue to do that in the way you want him to. You see, when we presume we are taking for granted someone, We're taking for granted a situation to the point where we actually insult that person. That's the difference between just assuming something and presuming something. You've now insulted the person. Think of an example. Think of opening your home. You show hospitality. Someone comes into your home and you welcome them and you, you tell them that they can sleep here in this room and, and they can, and they can eat this food. But then what, what might end up happening? Perhaps this guest would assume such a situation and then go rummaging through all of your drawers and cabinets, open the freezer and start digging around, helping themselves to anything that's there. And, and perhaps what's, what's happened is it's not just been the hospitality that you extended, there was an assuming that has resulted in a presuming, and they've overstepped. They've overstepped and have taken your hospitality and that gracious gift and have treated it poorly haven't responded in thanksgiving, haven't responded in honor, but assumed something's the case. We can, we can have that in our own relations to each other as well. We can so assume that something's the case where instead we have what walked into presumption. You can think of this even with marital relations, where a husband and a wife might so take for granted, so assume the role of the other, so assume the work of the other, that it has become now presumption has become thankless. It's expected. It's not even thought of. That's not the right way. Now, we can see that in our own dealings with each other. We can see that in our own mind. We do that to God all the time, and that's James' point. He sets the situation in verse 13. He says, Come now, 
You who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Now, when you take that verse in isolation, you might turn on the business corner of your brain and say, that sounds like a good plan. What's wrong with that? Why not? Yes, they're planning. Let's do this today and tomorrow. Let's do this for a year. But just just look at this statement. Look at what's involved in their plan. So it's a business plan that you'll notice involves a long period of time. Let's, let's spend a year there. It also is predicting the future. It's seeing what will happen. This is what we're going to do. This is what we expect to happen from what we're doing. Notice as well, there's significant travel here. Let's go into this place. Let's go into this town. Let's spend time there. Spend a year there. There's work, and there is the intent for profit. Again, none of those things are wrong in and of themselves. And I draw attention to that simply because you see all of the different factors here. All the different things that need to be taken into account. Moving, travel, a long time, business venture, and the hope of profit. All these things that when it comes down to it are completely outside of these men's control. That are completely outside any, of, any man or woman's control. You see, what James is saying is they have so presumed because they left God out. They've left God out of it. Their, in, in, their whole intent is to make a profit. Their whole intent is their business plan. Their whole intent is just focus on this world and not on the one who runs it. And that's presumption. Focus on yourself. Focus on what you might gain and not the God who runs it, and not the God for whom we serve and live. And then we've presumed. James isn't against wealth. James isn't against profit. He's not against planning. Some might say that. Some might go to this text and say, you see, he critiques wealth in general. No, he's not. He's critiquing the plans and that presume upon God's grace. And what we will see today is that living Lord willing means mindfully submitting everything to Christ instead of arrogantly forgetting his will. Living Lord willing means mindfully submitting everything to Christ instead of arrogantly forgetting his will. Our desire is to live Lord willing. That's the way we would, we're called to structure our lives. Live it for the Lord. Live Lord willing. And what we'll see in each of these points corresponds to a verse is presumption's frailty. We'll see that in verse 14. Our second point will be humility's certainty in verse 15. Then in verse 16, you see presumption's arrogance. And then in verse 17, you see sins of omission. So first, presumption's frailty. How does James come down against presumption? Well, he comes down against it, and the first thing he says is that it's frail. We see this in verse 14. So why? Why is it frail? Well, first, it's a wrong view of ourselves. That's where you have to begin. It's a wrong view of ourselves. We automatically sin against God when we operate as if we're something other than what we are. When we operate as if we're him, we've presumed we've sinned. When we operate as if we've got it all figured out and under that control, we're operating in pride. We're operating in something other than what God has made us to be. We're not recognizing our own frailty, and so we're behaving frailly and presuming. That's where he starts. Presumption's frail because it's basing itself on us, us, us weak beings. 
who don't know the future, who can't understand it, who don't know what one minute from now will be, let alone one year's time, and what we could capitalize on in our business ventures in that time. It's all the wrong focus. The frailty is as well focused on this this very meaningless thing of wealth. That's the other aspect of the frailty here. Their, Their sole focus is on riches. And that's what the world goes after. That's what so many people worship. That's what they look to for security or for greed. And that's a big point. Why do we pursue riches? Why would these men pursue this business venture? Well, it's probably because of one of two reasons. Greed or a source of security. Greed or a source of security. That's often what is the over, when we overvalue wealth and money, it's because we're looking to it for security or we just want it so we can use it for all of, the, all of our pleasures, entertainments, desires. And that's frail. Wealth is frail. So not only is it frail to presume, counting on our own strength, which isn't there, It's frail because what they're placing their hope in and their desire on is in itself frail. Verse 14 says it clearly, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. There's our ignorance. You don't know tomorrow. We're ignorant. What is your life? Then he characterizes what our life is. For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. We have it, right, when we wake up in the morning and there's fog around, there's mist around. Sometimes it's very thick. But you know what characterizes mist and fog is it's very frail. As the day progresses, as the sun rises, it's just gone. As you walk in it, there's nothing to it. You can swing your arms in the fog, and what's there, it's nothing, it's mist. It's a vapor but an apt characterization of what we are, our natures. A vapor, a mist. And so what James is really saying is out of this mist, frail vapor comes this squeaky voice boasting about what they're going to do, claiming to know the future. We're frail. Sinful presumption takes qualities that are God's and claims them as our own. Think of it like this. Here's a good way to illustrate this. And boys and girls, pay attention here too. How are we weak? How do we presume, or what do I mean when I say presume? How do we, how do we sin or do something wrong against God when we think we know more than what we do? It's like a six-year-old who's playing with his friends. And he's playing with his friends, and his mom's in the kitchen, and his mom can hear everything he's saying. And it's getting close to dinner time. And this six-year-old says to his friends, after dinner, come back and we'll go get ice cream. I'll take everyone to go get ice cream. It's in, it's in that new ice cream place that's like 20 minutes away, and we'll go get ice cream. Well, the mom is there in the kitchen. She can hear everything and thinks to herself, oh, will you? That's interesting. How will you? You see, what the six-year-old did is he claimed qualities and power that he doesn't possess. He can't drive. He can't take his friends. He doesn't have money. 
He has no capacity to actually fulfill what he said. And so what he did was he presumed on the power of his mother. He presumed on her abilities. He didn't honor her. He didn't ask her. He didn't say it the way he should have in telling his friends, I'm going to ask my mom if she'll do this which would have put the honor where it belongs, which wouldn't have been presumption. It would have honored his parents, would have honored her, but instead he took it to himself. What he couldn't do, this is what we do to God. We are constantly borrowing the grace of God. We live upon it, and we act like we don't. How? How do we act like we don't? Because we don't think of it. And in not thinking about it, we don't give him the honor that is his due. You see, living, Lord willing, is recognizing frailty, recognizing the fact that we don't have that power, which automatically orients us always to think that God is the one who does. That would orient us always to give him the honor that he is owed, rather than just brashly, rashly, arrogantly saying what we're going to do that we can't just like that six-year-old claiming what he will and yet can't, has no power to do. So that is presumption's frailty in verse 14. Second, we see humility's certainty in verse 15. Verse 15, James says what we ought to do. He applies it. So how do we do this? How do we live, Lord willing? Verse 15 says, instead, so what you rather should do, rather than just setting your plan out there and claiming it like you're going to do this, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. You see here, James advocates humility, an understanding of weakness but God's sovereignty, an understanding that we make plans, but we make it in the knowledge of God. We make it in that understanding that this is if his will is in accordance to what we've planned. Here's what James isn't trying to do. James isn't trying to make us add an incantation to every plan we ever give. James isn't trying to make us say and add to everything, Lord willing, we're going to eat in 20 minutes, Lord willing, I got to go to the bathroom, Lord willing. I got to do this, Lord willing. It's not to add, Lord willing, to everything we do. James is not interested in making us change fully how we speak. That's part of it. It is part of it. We should, at times, even add that language to our plans. It is appropriate and right and good for us to say, Lord willing, I will accept this job, something like that. But James isn't after us to do it every time, treating it like it's some magic phrase to be added and everything's good. Now we're living Lord willing because we added Lord willing to what we said. No, when James says that you ought to say this, what he's meaning is you ought to believe this. You ought to live this. This ought to characterize you in everything you do. It's a thought process. Rather than mere lip service, it's life service. That's what James is after. Why? We have to ask that question. Why is he so focused on us living, Lord willing? Why should we be so focused that we do this? I want to give three reasons. Three reasons for what difference living, Lord willing, and humility, what that does. First, living, Lord willing, and humility, it gives God glory by putting him in his proper place. That's the point of life, isn't it? 
it's interesting at times that we will treat that reason, living for the honor of God, as if it's somewhat secondary. Like, yeah, we get that out of the way. So I have three points that I'm going to give for why we do this. So, yeah, it's honoring God, but let's really get to the more important ones, the ones that really hit us close to home. That's just the way we live sometimes. We think, yes, just qualify it. It's for God's glory. But that's the whole purpose. By living, Lord, willing in our planning, even as James says, in investments and business, by living in that way, we're honoring God, and so we're fulfilling our life's purpose. So having the humility and the humility certainty in living for God gives him honor and glory, and that's the biggest reason. That's the central reason why we live this way, why we always will think to ourselves, no, this is only going to happen if it's the Lord's will forces us to pray and pray in a good way. So that's the first reason for the honor of God. Second, humility and living Lord willing gives us comfort. Humility and living Lord willing gives us comfort. It matters because it's the only certainty in our frailty. James has already said, we're a mist, we're a vapor, we pass away. So where is our certainty? It's in the Lord's will. He takes what is absolutely uncertain, us and our vapory existence, and marriages and joins it and unites it to what is certainly going to happen, and that's the Lord's will. And what do we know about the Lord's will? We know that everything he does is for our good. We know that everything he does is right and perfect and true. We know that if we could, we would not change God's will because it's perfect. That gives us comfort. That gives us certainty. It even gives a businessman, in James' own example, it gives him certainty. It gives him certainty to know that whether his plans work or not, as long as he's living Lord willing, God is glorified, the Lord's will is done, and in that he's happy. That provides certainty in life. This is the one certain thing, and notice how applicable this gets to your life. This is the one certain thing in the transitions of your life, in your job, in your locations, in your houses, in your investments, in your profits, in your deficits, in all of this. The only certainty is that the Lord's will will be done. So we should live like that. And we should take strength in that. So that's the second reason. Humility and living Lord willing gives us comfort. The third reason... Humility and living Lord willing positions us away from ourselves and to God, or we could say it it positions us to godly decisions. Godly decisions. It challenges us because in all of our decisions we have that pressing question, that pressing reality, we are living for the Lord. And if it's really true that we're living for the Lord's will and we want that to be done before our own, it means we will adjust all of our thinking, all of our decision-making to fit that reality. Is it really true that we would rather experience bankruptcy and the loss of our investments if the Lord's will is done. That's a hard reality. Is it really true that we would rather see our own plans thwarted as long as our greater plan, our greatest desire to live for the Lord is fulfilled? See, it orients us to godly decision-making. It forces us to make godly decisions. If we're planning always with that mindset that this is according to the Lord, 
he will carry it out if it is his pleasure, if it is his will, well, then we can't be engaged in sinful practices. We'll keep with James' own point. You can't be engaged in wrong and, 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 and wrong um, business practices. Your investments can't be wrong and sinful and then say, well, Lord willing, this will happen and he'll bless them. How can he bless what's wrong? You see how it would automatically orient us to godly decisions by living for the glory of God, by living Lord willing. We are often those who either never give God a second thought or even worse, those who do give God a second thought, but the thought isn't, if the Lord wills, let it be done. But often it's rather, if the Lord wills what I don't want, then he is not faithful. If he doesn't give me my way, then I'm going to be upset. If my investments that I planned out, that I may have said, Lord willing, if this if it's his will, will carry out, and it doesn't, and we lose it, how would we respond? that the Lord's will was done? Or would it be an anger and frustration? This applies to more than business and investments. James is using that for his congregation that likely struggled with this area, but this is for everything. This is for your grades in school. This is for the health of your life. This is for everything you can think of. It applies to these things. In living, Lord willing, there's a humble servant. That's our second point. Our third point, presumption's arrogance. Presumption's arrogance in verse 16. Verse 16 says, As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Notice the language there. You boast in your arrogance. What does it mean to boast in your arrogance? It's a strange way. That's because the original language has a term there that's hard to bring the meaning into English. It's hard to capture what that text is trying to say. So a better way of maybe explaining that is that it is something like boasting in our scheming, pretentious planning. It's probably getting at a, a, a certain pride in ourself for planning the future with such confidence. So what James is probably doing here is he's saying to these people who live this way, you boast in your planning, and you find pride in the fact that God was the one to bless you in this planning, and you take it to yourself. And so there's this vicious circle of arrogant boasting. You're boasting off of your arrogance and your pride, and you're building yourself up in greater pride because of the other pride that you lived in in the first place. You acted in pride and then are proud of it. That's really what he's saying. So pretentious that you boast. And we do that. We do that in so many things. The things that we like to find value in, whether it is in riches or just knowledge, whatever it is, we want to boast in it. We want to think it's us that did it. We were the ones to achieve it. But James is indicating that all boasting arising from this misplaced pride in one's own ability to chart the future is the pride of life that God condemns. This arrogant sense of self-sufficiency that I'm able. Look at what I've achieved. Look at what I've built. Look at my gifts. And we don't have the power to do any of these things. And James condemns all of that in this passage. Whether it is physical gifts, physical blessings, whatever it is, it's a blessing from the Lord. The difference 
This is, this is important. The difference between the success and failure has nothing to do with your skill or decision-making. Now, you might hear that and sort of want to push back. Say, well, that's, can't, that's not true because a lot of it was because of my work. I worked hard for that. I worked hard for that grade. I worked hard for that job. What do you mean that it had nothing to do with my abilities? I can look at these other people who, who are lazy and they don't work. Now, there's some truth to that. But you know what the truth is? It's true that God will reward hard work in a general sense. We see that in Proverbs. God does, he does reign and rule this world in such a way that hard work is often rewarded. But you see the difference there. The, the true power, the true source of that was still not you. It was God's own governance. That statement is completely true. The difference between success and failure in this life, the difference between what we want to boast in and the perceived failures of others has nothing to do with you. might say, I worked. I gave it my all, but who gave you the ability to work hard? Who gave you the breath to do that hard work? Who gave you the thought and the insight to make that investment or that plan? It's all God. And, and the way we sometimes want to push back at the statements that say it had nothing to do with your power shows how presumptive we are shows how much we assume on God's grace when the very breath that we breathe to presume against him is a gift from him. That's why a Christian has no right to be proud in any way, has no right to be proud in any accomplishment, and if we are, we have presumed against the grace and goodness of God. All things are said to him in thanksgiving. All things are given to him in glory because we live, Lord willing. Living, Lord willing, means mindfully submitting everything to Christ instead of arrogantly forgetting his will. All glory belongs to God. And you see in James' passage that where he puts how the glory should begin, it's before the business venture has even started. It's before, during, and after. This is how you live, Lord willing. It's not just what we might tack on, the prayer at the beginning. Lord, bless this investment. Lord, bless this work. Lord, give me a good grade. And then we act like it's all up to us. We forget about him in everything. We assume he's there. We presume upon his grace. And then at the end, maybe we'll be holy enough to just say, thanks, Lord, but really what we think it's us who achieved it. And it wasn't. We fail to give God so much glory and thanksgiving. That's where James is getting at. You see this in verse 17. This is our fourth point, the sins of omission. The sins of omission. Verse 17 says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Don't just pass over that. That structures the very way we read and interpret all of God's law. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. This gets at the difference between what we would call sins of commission, sins of commission, and sins of omission. Sins of commission are what we commit. It's what we do. It's how we actually break God's law by doing what he says not to do. For example, we are commanded not to blaspheme, not to take 
the name of our Lord in vain. A sin of commission would be us to take his name in vain, to curse him, to blaspheme against him. We've committed, we've broken his law, we've sinned against it. That's a sin of commission. A sin of omission is when we fail to fulfill the intent of the law. So, for example, in blasphemy, the sin of commission would be to blaspheme. Well, the sin of omission would be to not give him the praise in every instance that he deserves thus withholding his honor. The one we broke, the other we failed to fulfill. And James is applying it to this text. And so what he's saying, if you know that you're supposed to live, Lord willing, and you don't, to you it is sin. If you know that you're supposed to plan and live in every way for the will of God and for the honor of God and you don't, you've sinned against him. That is very weighty. It's hard to hear that. But that's how we live, Lord willing. That's how we live for God. James shows here that we can't know the right thing to do and ignore it. We can't know that we are to desire God's will to be done. That we know we're supposed to desire his will to be done. But then not desire his will when it comes. For us it is sin. We know better, is what James is saying. James deals with with everyday life. This hits us all in the trenches. This hits everyone here listening to this. It applies to you. It applies to us. It means we are to live in every way for the glory of God and not to presume on him, not to be like that that six-year-old claiming things that wasn't his to claim, but rather should orient all to the glory God. And that's the blessing of James. I said when we read God's law earlier in the service that it is a blessing to have God reveal what is right. And this is the same thing here. It is a blessing for James to tell us this. It is a blessing to know that we sin in committing and omitting what God, what is God's. To know that means not only do we have the right, that right process for how to obey him, it gives us a greater appreciation for what we've been given. And that's the point. I hope we've seen as we've gone through James that James is not a, a book simply and solely about works. It's, it's, about, it's about living for Jesus. It's about living in response to what we've been given. And we've seen that as we've gone through this book. The blessings that were given. The faith and the strength and how we use that faith. And that's what James is saying to do here by telling us what not to do. So yes, we are given a strong call to obey, a strong call to work, but understand that the way and reason we're doing that isn't so we can garner the appreciation of the Lord that he would accept us. That isn't James' intent. The reason we live Lord willing is because we're the Lord's. That's the point. We already are his, so we live for him. We didn't make ourselves his. He graciously adopted us as his children. And because we're his children, because the power of the Spirit lies within us, because we have Christ as our Savior, now we do strive to live, Lord willing. Service to Christ means the desire for his will and not our own 
and the glory of his plans, not our own. If we do other than this, we sin. But no, living Lord willing means mindfully submitting everything to Christ instead of arrogantly forgetting his way. Amen. Let's go before God in prayer. Father in heaven, we are thankful for this word that on the one hand is a word of exhortation, is a word that seeks to correct us in our place. And we as your humble children hope to receive that correction and respond to it. We thank you for the correction to know that we are not to sin against you by committing sins, openly breaking your law, that we're not to sin against you by failing to fulfill it as we know we should. We pray for us here, for our body, for our family as we sit here together, that we would be those to live, Lord willing, that we would be those who plan everything in accordance with that great truth, that do not presume upon you or your grace, but know that you are responsible for it all, that we would recognize our frame. We would recognize that we are a frail vapor, but that our true certainty lies in your perfect will and in this we rejoice. We pray this in Christ's name.